Well, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to another edition of This Week in the Bush League, hosted by the Chief and the Champ. I'm the Chief, and today I learned the difference between baking soda and baking powder. <laughs> and there is a big difference. And I am the Champ. I am Jamie Salandong, owner of the Space Otters. And I am so old, I actually played against Jamie Moyer. <laughs> oh, you, you did? You played against I Jamie did. Moyer? I batted against Jamie Boyer and grounded out the second base against him. One at bat? One at bat. One AB. Uh, was it a tough at bat? I imagine he didn't throw very hard. I don't know. Maybe in high school he did. Did he? Um, he, he honestly, it wasn't like um, – it, it was faster than most normal high schoolers, but it, it wasn't overpowering. And it was one, one of those tryout camps. Remember that they used to have yeah. that – Mm-hmm. Case would send people to, so it was a Cincinnati Reds tryout camp, and um, you know they had to, you do different drills, and then you would, you know, obviously everybody knew, you know, it was like, hey, there's Jamie Moore, there's Jamie Moore, there's Jamie Moore, because he played at uh, Soderton High yeah. School, and so I, I did get a chance to uh, to bat against him, and uh, you know that's that's my big claim to fame, and what he, he was still playing up what ten years ago, up to ten years ago, eight years ago, he played the least what forty eight or forty nine, I believe. Yeah, he. He actually might have pitched when he was, yeah, forty nine with the Colorado Rockies. That's when I think his last, his and he only he only made a couple starts. I think I'm I'm looking it up now. I think he was trying to get to fifty. Um, so he retired yeah. in 2012 at the age of 49. Yep. Yeah. Wow, that's still pretty impressive. Oh yeah, yeah. So, 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 what's going on between baking powder and baking soda? What, what did you, what did you uh, muck up? Well, I, I had to buy baking soda this morning, and then I thought, well, there's baking powder. I'm looking for baking soda. Maybe I'll just get the baking powder. And I thought, no, nope, just stick to the list. Just follow the list. And I got baking soda. And for those of you who don't know, baking soda is sodium bicarbonate which requires an acid and a liquid to become activated and help bake goods rise. While baking powder includes sodium bicarbonate as well as an acid. So it, does, it only needs liquid. So there you go. I still don't know really the difference. Just I know the, the words that make it different now. Damn, you're, you're, I, I didn't realize you had this kind of science background. You're kind of like uh, Walter from Breaking Bad. That's <laughs> impressive. Yeah. I, I actually I never did bad science. Are you a bad science student? You're math oriented, so science is math oriented, right? Uh, you know, I I never really really liked science because I, it was hard for me to apply. Um, had they had something, where, had I known in chemistry class that you know I was going to make beer twenty years later you um, and been able to apply those principles, then then I probably would have paid more attention. Yeah. I, and I struggled with the abstract when, you know, you had to build an H2O molecule and I put one of the O's in the, the wrong spot or the hydrogen's in the wrong spot and the guys tell me, no, I would go here. And I'm thinking, how the hell do you know? This is all fake to me. It's a styrofoam ball. Yeah. I'm taking two other styrofoam balls on with a stick. Don't tell me, you know, what it looks like. <laughs> now <laughs> <laughs> yeah that thing looks like some sort of nerf ball when i see it on the picture <laughs> oh my yeah all right so i well the other question follow-up question i have for you with jamie moyer it was he the best pitcher you ever faced 
remember a whole lot. I mean, obviously, there, there were some really good um, pitchers from, from Boyertown. So I'm going to say no. There were some pitchers from Boyertown. There was a guy that played at Pottstown um, that actually threw a pretty good changeup, which, which was the first good changeup I've ever seen before. So, um, no, it wasn't, you know, obviously um, in, in, in Legion and high school didn't see that many great pitchers. There were some that can you know, throw pretty hard, but I, I didn't see, not like you, that probably saw a lot of breaking balls and some significant uh, fastballs. Well, the good, you? the good thing about me is even when I got to college, I'm 5'4", um, 160 at that point. No one's throwing me breaking balls. <laughs> They're throwing me fastballs. <laughs> and that, that's what I liked. I mean, no one's messing around with me. They're not thinking, all right, I got to figure out a plan how to deal with this guy. <laughs> They're just saying, hey, man, he's probably going to hit a ground ball. Just throw, throw a fastball and see what happens. Yeah, that was the best part about me. Are you suggesting that their manager was saying, hey, no toying around with this guy. Just go after him with the uh, the hard stuff? Yeah, that's exactly what they were saying. Yeah. And, and I, I faced a, uh, an actual – I think the kid pitched for the Cardinals. Actually, for the St. Louis Cardinals. Last name was Morton, Kevin Morton. He pitched for the Cardinals? And another guy Morton. named Morris. Um, I, I don't re- I don't remember that that last name. Um, I can, I'll take a look. Yeah, and another guy was Morris. He he had a brother pitched. Uh, I can't remember his first name. Anyway, um, yeah, they they were probably the two the two best players that I faced. Um, yeah, no, Kevin Morton played with the Red Sox, so I was wrong. Was there a Matt Morris that played with the? Um... Yes, Matt Morris played with the Cardinals. He's a pretty good pitcher. Yeah, I see Kevin Morton here. You, so you played against him when he played at uh, Hall. Hall. Yeah, and there was another guy. Matt Morris had a brother um, that played at Seton Hall as well. He was a pretty good pitcher, but Kevin Morton was probably the better one. And uh, okay, uh, yeah, and uh, Boardtown had a kid named Shane Lee. I don't I can't remember. His, he was a lefty, but. Daryl Shane? Was it Daryl? Yeah, it was Darrell or Daryl or something. Um, yeah. He threw the ball probably harder than anybody ever faced. He threw the ball that hard. But again, I'm hitting ninth. I'm a junior. I'm 5'4", 120 at that time. He threw me two fastballs, and I hit him. Um, I, I think I grounded out the shortstop twice. But, yeah, no no one was throwing change-ups to me. Ever. <laughs> ever. Yeah, it's just, uh, uh, yeah, they they weren't doing that. But anyway, um, so we have some Bush League stuff to do. Uh, Joe Godry is going to be on our show. He just texted me. i got to give him about 15 minutes, and then we're going to bring him on to talk about some changes in baseball. Um, but kind of our, our genre today is what to do with the Bush League draft, right? Yes. And uh, it, there seems to be, every, every day I wake up, I, I feel differently, uh, that there may be a baseball season about 60 games. I'm guessing about 60 games. Um, if these guys can get their act together and, and, and put a 60-game schedule um, on, the, on the table that everybody will sign off on. And are you still, you talked last time about you still want to have the draft at 60 games, even though we're recognizing that baseball is stupid for doing this. Um, are, are you still thinking that way? I, I, I am. Um, you, you know, it, it, it would probably just be better 
if we could have, you know, gone to sleep in March and then woke up when baseball started and not <laughs> have to hear everything in between, right? Because it's, it's, it's infuriating to get to this point, you, you know, and it, they just all look like such bad actors. Um, but, you, you know, we talked on the last podcast, Roger, that um, I, I, would, I would prefer to have uh, a Bush League season in, in, in some sort of format. It, it's not going to be, just like Major League Baseball and all sports, it's not going to be the baseball as we know it because it's not really life as we know it right now. So um, I would still be interested to have um, a Bush League draft and whatever form that looks like. And, you know, I, I think you and I have a couple of ideas. Yeah, and I agree with you too. And like we talked about before, I think it's more important that we have all ten owners than what our bush league season looks like. I, that that would be more important to me that we have the ten that that participate. And even though we can we can make it, I think you've used the word gimmicky. Um, we're gonna have to modify it a little bit. What, what, what are some of your thoughts? Well, first of all, I like the idea that you said that to make sure that, you know, we can get all 10 because, you know, that at, at, at its heart is, is is the core of the league and, and the reason why the league has lasted this long. But, you know, um, some of the things that, that I would think of is it, it, I realize that um, a lot of people are going to have a hard time doing a draft in the summertime on, on weekends just because people have vacations, that type of thing. So I, I would be completely open to having a, a an actual online draft using like either CBS, um, you know, which you know hosts um, our league, or even a Yahoo draft. That what we do is we say, hey, let's pause the 2019 season and say that the 2020 season is just kind of for fun. Obviously, we're still going to make it competitive, but it has no retention value into 2021. So we hopscotch retention from 2019 to 21 and use, you know, those rosters in 2021 and make 2020 an open season. And, you know, we can do a draft and people can draft. Basically, we can do a, um, a, a snake draft is kind of my idea. And then we can decide on, you know, do we want to have retention in those drafts or just draft 23 players? And with those 23 players, that's it. And that we have weekly fab um, that you use as your reserve. Or we do it daily. Or do we do some other things like uh, do we add some different stat categories just for this particular year? Do we say that you have to draft at least one player from every National League team? Um, just something to kind of keep the, 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 the interest. What do you think? Yeah, I, I agree with the snake draft thing. Uh, I I think that was that's probably the most efficient way to get all ten owners on board um, because we're 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 getting into possibly some short short decision times. I mean that you know they could come up with in ten days come up with a schedule that starts July nineteenth and we basically have three weekends um, to get together. Um, so unless we were willing to meet on a Sunday, uh, the Saturdays seem kind of booked uh so i think the the draft on the on online is a good idea um i i like the idea of holding two nine 2019 rosters um so that that would be your retention if you wanted it going into the 2021 season i i wouldn't want to yeah i wouldn't want to have retention um i wouldn't want to have retention through the snake draft because people will they might not necessarily get who they want, whereas 
is theoretically you could buy any player you wanted in in our draft. If you wanted a player, you could spend the money to go get them. Um, where a snake draft, you don't have that capability. Um, yeah, and I'm okay having the traditional rotisserie type uh, stats. I don't know if I'd want to get into a daily or a weekly, uh, just because I don't think that's in our battle rhythm of what we've been doing the last 37 years. And I, and I don't think I think some people like that it's not a daily or or a weekly, uh, you know, head to head type well, thing. Well, we're not doing we're not doing head. Well, we could do head to head if we want, but I guess we would still have. This would be open for discussion. Would we still have weekly roster moves, which would mean essentially fab? Would we have a reserve round after the draft or something like that? And and you yeah. know, I'm kind of wide open in all this. Yeah, I, I, yeah, that, I'd I'd like to keep it the same format, but that's just my my opinion. And uh, but I I think it's worth having it. I, I would hate to watch. It's been a long time since I watched baseball and didn't have this. Didn't have this league, and I need something to be force myself to sit and watch it because I'm so freaking annoyed at these people. No, I, I would agree. And in fact, I would ask you know all three owners that listen to this, you know, solicit your ideas. Um, you know, I'll try and send something out to everyone. Although it, it, it's really hard to try and put that all down into words. I, I just don't write very well. So for me to try and send that out to everybody, um, and, and you know, we have certain owners that don't use certain documents, that type of thing. So it just becomes a little bit, you know, more more challenging, if you will. Yeah, we might have to go old school and actually pick up a phone. Yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we might actually have to drive to people's houses and say, "Hey, we're here uh-huh. representing the Bush League uh-huh. owners." You know, will you agree to get online for two and a half hours or, or whatever that would be? Yeah. Yeah. We, 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 we could, if we wanted to, we, we can make this work. Now, hopefully we don't have any disagreements where, you know, three of the owners say they don't want to do this, like Major League Baseball, right? Yeah, we, we might have to incentivize it. Yeah, you know all, all all these small market owners are complaining about the you know the large market owners, and I would have to think that you're a large market owner, being that you have all central Pennsylvania. Yeah, no one follows me. No, <laughs> I don't have all central. I got Tom to deal with in the north, like at North Berks County area. You know, he drops down into that in those northern Lancaster County too, so he takes up some of my <laughs> fan base. Yeah. Yeah, he does. He does have a kind of reach, right? He, you know, he's got that uh, that radio reach, that fifty thousand watt station coming out of uh, out of Berks County that, that attracts a lot of people. I'm not so sure he's not manipulating stats because he does work for the power company, and I don't know. Maybe he can work his way in there. Yeah. Well, you know, him and Bill. You know, Bill owns uh, everything south of the Mason Dixon, so uh, you know, he's got a big reach, also. Yeah. Um, okay, so it, it seems like. W- w- we have a shell of an agreement, Tony Clark. Uh, never mind. Uh, looks sounds like, <laughs> <laughs> sounds like sounds like we're on the same page um, as as what we would like to have the draft look like. We're just going to have to find a way of effectively communicating and, and getting ideas from other owners. And um, yeah, we'll we'll uh, we'll see what that looks like. Of course, we're all we're talking about this and not sure if there's going to be a baseball season. That you know. Right. During those negotiations that are, uh, you know, leak out, what, what are your thoughts on, on Manfred? 
Well, you, you know, I, I had just read the book by, by Bud Selig, and, you know, Manfred, uh, Rob Manfred was actually his, um, I, I guess, legal um, side of the commissioner's office when uh, Bud Selig was, was um, in office. And in the book, he speaks really highly of, of Rob Manfred. Um, I, I guess the concern is, is, is just all of the egos that you have involved, because because Rob Manfred, as commissioner, works for 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 the owners, and and you you have thirty different egos. Now, I mean, that's not to say that you know the seven hundred fifty um, major league baseball players that are in the players' association don't have egos as well. But I, I just I, I, I think you had you, you had mentioned, Roger, you you talked to me uh, about this that. When you leave a negotiation, you have a pretty good idea of the people you're representing and, and how they would feel um, when topics are, are, are brought to the table. Yeah, when you when you leave, especially it seemingly it was a small group. I'm not saying Manfred and Clark met one-on-one, which probably they should have. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, it was a small group of people who probably met. And when you walk out of there, Manfred came, he... he He's of the belief that, like, it's a done deal. They're just working out basic logistics and times. And Tony Clark responds within five minutes of that meeting saying, we don't have a deal. <laughs> and then you're like, well, wait a minute. What the hell? Like, do you not, can you not read people that were, or I think he just can't deal with the owners. I just think he's a, he's soft and he can't deal with them for whatever reason. Or maybe there's a couple of them that he just, he can't get a he can't figure out or he can't convince, but um, and I know they're they're his bosses, which is the stupidest thing in the world that you're going to have right. this guy run a league, be the commissioner of the league, and really he's just a puppet. If that's what he is, then he should just say, "Hey, look, I'm just a puppet. I'm the one negotiating the deal, but I got to run it by these thirty people." And it, you know he should just come out and say that. Don't act like you're a commissioner of the league when you're really just doing what 30 people tell you to do. Um, you know, so, so, so that draws into question. How, how was Bud Selig, um, I, I guess we'll, we'll term him to be very effective, right? Because um, during his watch, they, they've had uh, 25 years of, 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 of labor peace. And so, so I guess my question to you is, do you think some of that has come from the fact that he actually started as an owner of a small market team. Yeah, and maybe that that does have a lot to do with it. And I, I never thought about it until I'm seeing what's going on now. Um, but yeah, maybe he had the gumption to deal with the trouble, you know, the owners that are paying the rear end, which I, I'm sure there are numerous of them, and knowing how to deal with them, you know? any of these owners, because one of the recurring themes that I guess he, he would tell owners, because a lot of times I think he would have to have uh, a unanimous support, 30 owners, and one of the things he would he would impress upon people, now obviously he's looking back, but the record speaks for itself, um, and, and I was never a Bud Selig fan early on, um, but he would always impress that, hey, sometimes you need to do this for the good of the game, George Steinbrenner. You know, yeah, it, you know, you're not going to make every last dollar, but, you, you know, to have some sort of competitive balance and to make the league more popular, you may need to take a short-term hit to gain more value. And, you know, the proof is in the pudding. If, if you judge um, uh, his, his success on the valuation of sport, the sports franchise and particularly baseball franchises, then, then it, it was a rousing success. 
Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Yeah, I, and, and maybe he had that gumption that that you know those that that um, that personality that could, he could deal with the personalities that were kind of a pain in the neck. Yeah. Well, and, and see, you, obviously, you're much better than that. Um, you, you, you can do that, right? Having that kind of background in your work. Um, I remember one time you came to me after a trade, and you told me to my face, you said, you don't know how to deal with people. That's what you told me. <laughs> I said that <laughs> facetiously. Yeah. You told me I'm not a people person. And I said, well, uh, isn't that pretty apparent? Because I'm an accountant. So, yeah, <laughs> of course not. That's funny. All right. Hey, listen, uh, we're going to have to take a brief hiatus on this topic. Uh, I, I'm going to reach out to Joe to bring our guest on. So, uh, we got Joe Godfrey on the line. He is uh, right now. He is the athletic director of um, Penn State Schuylkill. Uh, he's been there for about, is this your third year, Joe? Is this your third year at Penn State? Yeah, Rod, just finished my uh, third year of athletic seasons, and it'll be uh, my third year anniversary on the job will be October. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I'm sure, I know you're looking forward to celebrating that. Um, so just so, you, <laughs> just so you know, uh, Joe and I have been friends for 30 years. We played in junior college together. Uh, Joe has spent a better part of, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, about 25 to 30 years in Division One baseball both as an assistant coach and a head coach at Villanova University, uh, where he did that for 15 years. Um, am I right about 30 years? Yeah, yeah. Uh, pretty much pushing at about uh, 15 years as a head coach at Villanova, and then about uh, 13, 15 years uh, you know, as an assistant coach all over the place. Yeah, to include uh, uh, University of Pittsburgh, New Mexico State, uh, some time at Utah, and then at, at Villanova as well as an assistant. So, Joe, we, we appreciate you coming on. And, and some of the reasons um, that we wanted to talk to you about it is because there is no baseball. So I started a baseball podcast in the year of the pandemic where there is no damn baseball. Um, <laughs> so that was perfect timing. Um, so it, this year baseball went from a 40-round draft to a five-round draft. Um, what kind of ramifications is that for players who weren't who weren't one of the those drafted in that five rounds? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, some of it's you know kind of been the same as you know just business as usual. Just you know, if you're a player, you weren't drafted, uh, either your career was over, or you know, you kind of went back to school. I mean, that was. That that that's happened, you know, every year for as long as they've had the major league draft. With the with the decreasing to you know the five rounds, um, you know, obviously you know that created less opportunity. But the unique point was with the pandemic, um, players that were seniors were able to go back to their institution and you know play another year. Uh, it also impacts you know, the incoming group, uh, probably from the high school level may be a little bit more impactful because your high profile power five baseball schools, you know, your Texas's, Florida's, Arizona States, you know, that group, you know, they would, they would typically go out and recruit, you know, 20 to 25 incoming players, either high school players or junior college players with the expectation of maybe half of them would show up because they would lose, right. you know, eight to 12 kids to the, to pro ball. 
Well, you know, now you can see the bottleneck that that just created with the with the uh, with only having five rounds of the draft. The free agency uh, policies this year was that you were able to sign free agents for twenty thousand dollars, no more than twenty thousand um, dollars. So that, that that would probably relieve some of the returning seniors that would take that money and go. But you know, for a high school player. Uh, potentially a junior college player, you know, pending where academics was in their life, they're not taking that deal. So, you know, kind of we're having a lot of players now that are going to show up at a, you know, university campus to play baseball um, in a much larger number than, you know, what everybody expected when these kids signed uh, with these schools, you know, two, three, you know, even four years, you know, prior to, you know, an August date. So from a, from a Division One perspective, you talked about the Power Five schools. Is there a, the same bottleneck for the smaller Division One schools, like the schools in the Northeast? Yeah. What What happens for the you know at the university level? What happened is you know you're allowed to have eleven point seven scholarships that you're able to give out in increments of twenty five percent, meaning you couldn't give a kid a scholarship less than twenty five percent. Right. There was there's a variety of ways you can stack that money to get the twenty five percent. You're allowed to have, uh, I think it was Raj. I think it was twenty seven or twenty eight players were allowed to be on scholarship. Um, and when you got into the spring, you're allowed to have thirty five players on an active roster. Okay. So what the NCA did was they pre- they they provided relief. They, they took the um, the 27, 28 scholarship players, they eliminated that for a year. They expanded the roster, so you, you, you were able to have more than 35 players on your roster in the spring. Right. Um, what they did was, if you were a senior, and um, say, Rod, you know, Pitt gave you 25% scholarship, and you wanted to come back for your senior year, the school could offer you that same 25% scholarship. They could go above and beyond that. They couldn't say, hey, you know, we're going to bring back a pitcher, and he was on 50% scholarship, but for one year since, you know, we're Mississippi State, you know, maybe, you know, as an example, and we have money for baseball, we're going to bring our pitchers back at 100%, so there's no out-of-pocket expense. Okay. You were not allowed to do that. So they, they okay. were able to bring back their players, for whatever they were receiving for their senior year. And then they were able to, you know, everything else, juniors in down into incoming freshmen, they still had to fit into that 11.7 bubble. Um, But not every school, uh, it should be not, not every school did that. Not every school offered that money to uh, seniors to come back. Um, that was that was that was done at the university level. The NCA just provided that opportunity for that. So yes, that affected schools in the Northeast. And then um, the Ivy League, uh, they they're not they don't give scholarships, but they also don't do red shirts. So they didn't give any of their senior baseball, softball players, track players an extra year of eligibility at an Ivy League school. So anybody that played there, graduated there, if they wanted to continue um, baseball, softball, or track, they had to do that at another university. Okay. Um, and then the last, the last piece with that 
is if you were in that boat, say you were at, uh, you know, a player from Florida, and, you, you know, maybe you were, you know, a good player, maybe not considered a great player, maybe you were a bench player, <clears throat> the school could deny you money to come back. They could release you, and then you would be able to go out and, you know, basically kind of transfer to wherever somebody would take you. You could be offered scholarship money, but you would have to fit into that school's 11.7. You weren't guaranteed whatever money you were getting. And and that's where a lot of some of this impact was, is those players that were, you know, kind of told to, you know, kind of move on and try to find homes, you know, much like you see with basketball and and, and, and football. Yeah. So I guess... I guess if you're a college coach and you you have a player that's not performing, you could tell him, "Hey man, you got to move on. You got to move on." But yeah. yeah, but if you got a kid that you want to see develop and you think, "Man, this kid, I think he'll really produce if we get him another year," then you're in that pinch of of trying to fit it into that 11.7 framework. Yeah, that makes it difficult. Um, so I, I just my basic knowledge are. Junior colleges, should junior colleges benefit off of this? Should they get kids they wouldn't normally get? I think that um, it's a great question. There's, there's, not a, there, there, there's not an easy answer to it. I mean, I, I think that, um, you know, this was the first year of the transfer portal where, where anybody could, you know, put in the transfer, you know, in all different sports and, and, um, you know, without giving the, you know, full definition of transfer portal, I can tell you, I was, I was reading as I was preparing for this, there was over a thousand names of Division One, Division Two college baseball players in the transfer portal. Oh Meaning wow. that, they submit that they submit their name in there and that allows them to speak with any school um, that wants to contact them. So it's kind of like a waiver to speak with somebody without having a waiver to speak anymore. And it's public knowledge. And so there's going to be a trickle down effect just because, you know, if you have one year of expanded rosters and the people that it really affects, you know, if you're, like I said, if you're a sophomore or junior, if you're a bench player, if you're a part-time player, you're a platoon player, yeah. you know, all of a sudden you just got hit on both ends. You got hit with, yeah. hey, people that maybe were in starting roles uh, coming back or juniors that you thought like, well, you know, they're going to leave from the draft. So you're going to have experienced players that play every day coming back. Yeah. You're going to have an influx of new players, of some players that were going to be major league draft picks. Mm-hmm. That um, you know that they're going to be competing for playing time. So that middle piece of players, it's like are kind of in you know the abyss a little bit of what's going to happen to them. Like some may be able to qualify to go to a junior college because you know maybe they're a freshman going into their sophomore year, but. You may have a kid that's a sophomore going into his junior year. That's not an option. Yeah. Um, you may, you know, just dealing with this when I was at Villanova in conversations with players that, you know, would, would discuss transferring. You may get a school that's $65,000 and, you know, you spent $170,000 worth of an education right now. And are you going to go play your last year at a 
and get a degree that's you know maybe worth a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and so there's yeah. a lot of you know there's there, there's gonna there, there, there's a lot of things that go into these decisions, and I just really think that I think college baseball is going to be really really good uh, as far as the product that they can put on the field. Um, but there's going to be a lot of people that, uh, you know, that, that middle group of people are really going to have their careers end a lot sooner than what they thought. Yeah. Um, because coaches are going to take care of their, their, their you know, yeah. I have a starter yeah. and he's performing. Well, I get an extra year out of him. And if I'm bringing in my high school player that was, you know, I thought I was going to lose to the draft or like, hey, this is, you know, this is going to be the face of the program moving forward well you know i got to get him in the games yeah so it's absolutely and i imagine and i imagine with the smaller division one schools you get a pitcher that wouldn't you think this kid's probably gonna get drafted in the 10th round and we're not gonna see him and then he doesn't get drafted and he comes you're gonna figure out a way to get that pitcher onto your roster like right you're gonna figure out a way and then the lower levels, too, just like your point, Rogers, a trickle-down effect. I mean, there's going to be kids leaving the SEC and the Big 12 and the Pac-12, and, you know, they're going to go into the, you know, to the Big East or the West Coast Conference or, you know, somewhere in the Midwest, and you know, the Big Ten, and they're going to make impacts in those programs. Mm-hmm. And so it's a trickle-down all the way down to, you know, then kids are going to wind up in D2, you know, NAIA, and you know, back to the junior college thing. So the, it, it's, it's going to be impactful, you know, for, for you know, at, I would say at least five years. I mean, there, that, sure. you, you got to play that whole cycle out. Every Everybody that was just playing college baseball, softball, track just got an extra year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean. Yeah. With with uh, limited opportunity to, to go at the next level. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot about the NAI. The NAIA schools, hell, they don't even have rules. Like they should be hanging around those campuses. <laughs> well, they uh, we're an NAIA school. We do have some rules. Oh, come on! Uh, but but they have a lot of more flexibility. They don't have the transfer rules. Um, yeah. that that uh, you know, really, a lot of things that you see that the NCA are doing is kind of what the NAI has done forever. You know what I mean? That they, they, they just, they didn't have the transfer rule issues that NCA division one did. And they're actually moving more towards that model of just kind of like the player notifies the compliance director. Yeah. Uh, hey, I'm looking to make a move and you're, you feel free to make a move. They, they kind of took the coach out of it. They kind of took that whole, Hey, I have to go talk to my coach, and it's you know I have to get approval, and sure. yeah. all that stuff's done. It's more wild, wild west. So, let me ask you this: little off topic, but you're saying thousands of baseball players are in the transfer portal. Portal. How many of them do you think like are really worth calling out of the thousand? Like, is or is it just people like, like, you know? guys who just can't make the team or aren't that good and they're not getting playing, not getting on the field and they're thinking, all right, I'm going to transfer. Like, I'm sure I, that goes on. I, I think I think when it first started, I think you had a lot of that. Okay. I think the transfer portal, I mean, you know, 
jumping into another sport, basketball, like, it's crazy. Like, people think people transfer in baseball. Basketball, like, there's like a 50, 55% like transfer rate. It's like, it's outrageous. Like wow. if you don't play, you're like going somewhere else. And I think that, I think that um, baseball, you know, is the one that always had the, like the, 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 the mark against it for that. You know what I'm saying? Because it was a partial scholarship sport. Yeah. You know, football and baseball or football and basketball, they kind of held you over, you know, held you over a barrel because, you know, you were getting a full scholarship if you're on scholarship and, you know, where you're going to walk away from that, you know, baseball for years. I mean, before it's only been, it's only been say 10 years or about 10 years that you, you had to have a minimum of a 25% scholarship. I mean, you know, when we were playing or, or, you know, 15 years ago, you could you could get offered a scholarship by Florida State, and they could say, hey, I'm going to give you books. No, by the way, I'm going to give it to you starting January 1st, and you show up in the fall, and you're there for two weeks, and they cut you. And so, <laughs> you know, but you signed a letter in 10, you couldn't go anywhere else, and, you yeah. know, they were, they were untold stories. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and so now, you know, with this portal, um, I think there was, there used to be a lot of that. Well, I'm disgruntled. Or yeah. hey, all of a sudden, you know, I was a I was a pretty average player in high school, and I went to the I went to the the MAC conference or the Atlantic Ten conference, and you know, wow, all of a sudden, I you know, I was throwing uh, eighty four miles an hour, and over the summer now, I'm, you know, now I'm throwing ninety two miles an hour. You know, let me put my name out here um, and see if I can find a better option. Um, now I think with this with the pandemic situation, I think it's more legitimized in the sense of there's a lot of kids that were seniors that had an extra year that their school said, "Hey, thanks, but no thanks." Yeah, and so you know they had to, they had to kind of get put in here, and they need to go find a place to play. Yeah, and find a place to play. Okay, yeah. Well, um, and then and the only other question I have for you are there any are there any benefits to college programs moving ahead with a you know we had talked offline a little bit and you you think baseball is going not going back to that 40 round system um is there a benefit to college baseball i i think that the benefit to college baseball like like i said is the product i think there's going to be there's you there's going to be it's going to be a better product in a major league baseball. Major league baseball and college baseball have been working against each other for as long as it's been in existence because college coach, you know, the good high school player, you know, there was a battle of, hey, I want this kid to come to college or should I go play minor league ball for at a high school? And that whole debate, like, you know, you turn on a basketball game. You turn on a football game, the first thing they say is, hey, you know what, Lamar Jackson played football at Louisville, um, uh, a beat played basketball at Kansas, yeah. all that stuff. College baseball, you don't see that. Yeah. You don't see pro baseball do that. They, you know, they've been, we've been talking about that, trying to market both. I think if baseball decreases its rounds, uses college baseball more as a minor league system, like – Pro football does, college basketball does to some degree. Yeah. They'll create a better partnership. They'll create more awareness for college baseball. College baseball, you know, at that point, you know, uh, uh, will create some, you know, additional maybe financial dollars for it for visibility 
on TV, uh, with different networks. And I think it definitely uh, would benefit college baseball in the long term. It's going gonna, it's gonna to benefit college baseball in the short term, too. Yeah. It's just going to hurt. It's going to hurt the student athlete, some of them. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's, you know, the, the, it's going to hurt colleges because the cost of doing business in the next couple, especially next year, is just going to go, I mean, you know, you have to feed these people, you have to put them in uniforms, you have to travel them around, you have to do it. Well, the expense of having a 30-man roster to a 45-man roster, you know, that's, that, huge. That, that, yeah. that's real cost. Yeah. That's another bus. <laughs> that's, that's real cost. <laughs> now you got two buses. So, yeah, and more hotels, right. more and, food. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's so. I I think long term it's going to be a great thing for college baseball if it moves in that direction. I just think that you know, with with everything that's going on and with with athletic budgets being so stressed from losing fall revenues or yeah. excuse me from losing spring revenue for basketball. I mean, we're really in un- uncharted waters if. If football can't kick off on time and finish the season, I mean, we got the, 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 there's there's a lot of issues just in college athletics in general. Yeah, no, I I I I look at a school like well, just like Villanova. I mean, the basketball team didn't go to the tournament, so that that's a huge that's a huge hit sure. in, in money. Yeah, that's sure. a huge hit in money, and it makes you wonder I mean, how that's... it makes you wonder how Pitt functions. Like the, none of their teams go to anything. I don't know where the hell the money's no, it's, coming it's from. It's really, you know, they benefit off of like, like I saw on the NCAA with basketball. Like basketball, they normally pay out like six hundred million dollars to universities across the country and conferences, and the conferences split it. And they they okay. only paid out like two hundred million, and how like that really hurt everybody, like. Schools like Pitt and these Power Fives that, that, that you know, they're, they're not going to BCS balls, they're not going to the Final Fours, they're not going there. I mean, they're getting 25 to $32 million checks, TV checks for, yeah. you know, the football and basketball programs. Yeah. It, that money dries up. I mean, that's that's scary. I mean, I don't think yeah. people aren't going to be able to function. <laughs> yeah, no, it is scary. And, you know, the small yeah. schools, like, like I said, like Villanova, I mean, they, they, you know, basically the money that they get from when I, when I was there, the money we got from basketball, that that's what was used to operate every other sport at the school. Yeah. And you yeah. know, it was kind of like basketball had their budget, and as good as and basketball paid for everybody else's budget off of their successes. And um, you know, so it, it's definitely. You know, it's it, it, it's going to be definitely a wait and see what happens here this fall. Yeah, and and, and most people don't realize that a lot of Division One coaches in the Northeast up until 15 years ago or so were part-time coaches. I mean, they had other jobs. <laughs> you know, they were high, so. yeah, they were high school when, teachers. <laughs> yeah, when, when, when I started, my, my first year as head coach at Villanova, I started part-time. Yeah. Um, now it was it was it was in the works. Everything was in place for that position to become full time. Um, the, the coach prior to me, George Bennett, um, you know, legendary coach. Guys, you know, in, in, yeah. in multiple Hall of Fames. 
won conference championship. George was a teacher at Upper Darby High School. <laughs> and and he made it work. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I mean, schedules were different. Time commitments were different. I mean, yeah. you know, back then, if you're in the, if you're in the Northeast, recruiting really dealt with, you know, the the – SEC and the ACC will come up and take whoever they want, and the, 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 the other top players will either go to St. John, Seton Hall, or Villanova. <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> yeah. And yep. then all of a sudden, you know, you could probably mix Rutgers in there a little bit, and then, um, you know, or maybe mix Rutgers in there a lot, but they, they were your four options in the Northeast. And then, uh, yep. you know, they started adding full-time coaches, and, you know, people took recruiting, you know, a lot more serious than what it was and yeah. you know schedules changed and it wasn't it wasn't like well we start the season when we go to spring break and yeah and yeah. uh yeah. you know the world the, the world of college baseball changed you know 360 over the last 20 years that's for sure yeah that's why i applied to pit right <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh all right yeah hey jamie do you, you got any questions no, well, actually, I do have one. Uh, Joe, thanks for, first of all, coming on. And, you know, I, I don't want to take too much of your time because I know you're a busy guy being a athletic director. I was just looking some stuff up. I, I see we're practically neighbors. You live in Linfield. Is that right? That's correct, Linfield, right? Okay. Right, uh, I, I, uh, Linfield's a suburb of Roarsport for those out there. Suburb? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I'm, I'm over in East Vincent Township, so I'm right down the road. So. Hopefully, some chance, um, you know, when uh, maybe maybe out in Phoenix Hall, um, when Rogers there, we'll have a chance to uh, to meet. Um, very informative. The the background that you gave on on just all this information, what's happening in college sports, and you know, you throw the changes in college sports, changes in baseball, and mix a pandemic in it, and it just becomes really crazy. Um, so, thank you for for navigating through that. Um, I do have one real quick question for you. Um, I just want to know what kind of player, since you played with Roger, what kind of uh, college player was he? What, uh, what kind of relationship did you guys have when you played? Oh, me and Roger, best of friends. I mean, we, 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 we I, I, I enjoyed every minute playing with Roger. Roger was a, a really good player. He was, uh, he was uh, a, a leader on the team, much more of a leader than I. He'd keep me in line. And uh, he, he was a guy defensively. He uh, got on base on offense, and uh, you know, I, I we played two years together at uh, um, Montgomery County Community College. I, I, I went to Colorado State. Roger, I went to Pitt, and, and uh, we played for a man named Jim Randolph. And he was, uh, you know, being in baseball for as long as I was. I, I wish I appreciated Coach Randolph as much <laughs> as I, I did then as I, I do now. And uh, but no, it was it was great. I, I like I said, Roger was. was uh, close as a friend as I had in baseball and uh, he was a real solid ball player and was a difference maker for us. Excellent. We had a solid ball club. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Nice. Uh, no, that's, that's good to hear and I appreciate I appreciate the, the, the time you've taken today um, to come on and talk to us. That, that's great. So, uh, and just real quick, Joe, right. Joe, real quick before I let you go, um, I, I, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed our two years there and, and uh, a lot of times it was uh, it was good memories, and I, and I agree with you about Randolph. He's one of the better coaches I've ever had, um, not just mechanics of playing, but just um, 
you know, what he probably dealt with growing up in the minor leagues and in college. And, and yeah, he was a tough dude, man. And I, yeah, I, I did, I did enjoy those, those, those two years. Joe, we appreciate it, man. Thanks for, thanks for calling in. You got it. I'll see you guys down the road shortly. All right, Take buddy. care. Take Thank care. you, Joe. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Got it. Okay. Jay, you still with us? Well, that was really, yeah, that was, that was really good. You know, he, he answered a lot of questions in, in terms of just, just how difficult it, it, it is to uh, navigate through, through college sports, particularly when you, you're not a revenue-generating sport. It just, it just makes it so tough, right? And yeah. I guess the people that you deal with, the families, you know, that, that's probably more of a conversation that we have in Phoenix Hill at a bar sometimes, just, you know, all, all the kids that think they're, they're, they're the greatest. And yeah. he probably looks at their talent and says, this kid couldn't play, shouldn't be playing even in high school. And <laughs> having to tell parents that and dealing with that, it just, oh, boy. It, it probably ages you pretty quickly. Yeah, I think it probably does. And, and uh, it's funny how, uh, if you don't mind, I'll go into a little bit. So when I got to junior college, uh, no one ever talked to me about hitting. Like, I, I just kind of got in a box and just kind of winged it. Is that, I don't know if that's the word. I, I had no approach. And this guy was a – he talked about hitting constantly. Um, and he really – just through my conversations with him over two years about having an approach, having a plan, you know, what, what do you want to do at this at-bat? What, what should you be doing this at-bat? Um, and he, he, he would talk like that when we were players. And just two years of that just being ingrained in my head – um, I, I really felt like he was probably the – he put me over the top because I was a below average hitter. And when I – after two years there, I hit over 300 both years and, and um, because I had an approach. I, I had an idea okay. of what I wanted to do. And, um, you know, hitting's, hitting's a philosophical. It's not like pitching. Pitching's all mechanics, right? You're going to teach a kid 8, 18, pretty much the same mechanics of pitching. You watch Major League Baseball – and you watch any pitcher, and you pretty much could show that to any kid and say, this is what you kind of want to look like. But hitting's a lot different. It, I mean, uh-huh. like, you watch Gary Sheffield, you would never teach an 8-year-old how to hit like that. <laughs> but it, it's worked for Gary Sheffield, right? It, it's going to get in the Hall of Fame because of, 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 of how he hit. So, you know, he, he, he would talk about having uh, a plan when you get in the box. And... Yeah, that 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 really that really helped uh, to me develop me as a as a being a better all round player. No, that makes sense, and and you know that's kind of the the maturation of, of sports, right? Each each ladder or each each rung of the ladder that you climb, you, you have to do something like that, right? To 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 survive and to move on. Yeah, you do. Otherwise, you're just going to be the yeah I, yeah. If if I didn't have that relationship with him. Um, yeah, I, I would have never gone beyond playing in junior college. So, um, anyway, yeah, that was good. That, that was a that was a that, that was a good um, good interview and and some really good information. Yeah. Um, so, circling back uh, to baseball topics, we we've kind of discussed our what you and I think our draft should look like. Uh, we're gonna reach out to owners and and kind of see what their thoughts are and then kind of play the waiting game with major league baseball um yep. yeah so just a real quick uh baseball topics you put in a note in our in our notes this week about hank aaron uh 
153 players had struck out 100 times in 2019. 153 yep, players. Over. Yep, yep, over 100 times in 2019. Hank Aaron never struck out over 100 times in a single season. Yeah, not too bad for uh, for a home run hitter, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, a home run hitter to hit 305 for his career. So I, I looked at some of his stats, and I, I would argue, again, depending on where you fall on the Barry Bonds thing, uh, Hank Aaron is probably the best overall hitter in the history of baseball. So uh, he he didn't strike out. Um, he he retired as the home run leader. He's the all-time RBI leader with 2,297 RBIs. He's the all-time total total bases leader with 6,856. Um, he only won one MVP, but he finished third six times. So, wow. And, and you know what? And I, I looked back at those MVP votes and wondering if it's like, all right, I wonder if this was a color thing. You know what I mean? This was in the 50s and 60s. I wonder if it was, if it was that. But I don't think it was. Uh, Don Newcomb won the MVP over one, one year. William Covey. Um, uh, uh, Ernie Banks won it twice. Uh, Sandy Koufax was like 25-4 and four one year uh, when, when, um, when Aaron finished third. And Joe Torre won the MVP over him one year. Uh, Joe Torre had an awesome year when he won the MVP. I didn't realize that. Like, he had 360. That was, what, 1971? Yeah, he had 363. Um, yeah, yeah, he had a really good year, uh, but I, I almost think it was probably like uh, Hank Aaron got votes just because, like, I don't even know what kind of season he had, but I'm probably it was an MVP <laughs> MVP year, you know, and he was probably overlooked in, in some seasons. Like, oh, come on, Hank Aaron, are we gonna vote for him again? And then he only ends up with one one MVP. But yeah, I, I think I think you could argue he's the best hitter in baseball history. Um, it, it, it's funny how you lay this out because I, I, I think you make a, a, a strong case for that, right? And, you know, I, I wonder uh, about the biases, you know, when, when, when he was playing, uh, obviously, you know, Willie Mays was, was in um, um, San, New York and then San Francisco. Mickey Mantle was in New York, you know, and, and here's Henry Aaron playing out Milwaukee and then, you know, later in his career um, moving to Atlanta. And, you know, those aren't the, the media hotspots. And, I wonder if, if if he missed out on that, or did he have a better career because he didn't have to play under you know those kind of conditions? Yeah, uh, yeah, that's a good point. He, yeah, he did play in hot spots, um, and and I, I was just amazed at the consistency of the guy. <laughs> like, that guy yeah. was consistent, man. Um, you pretty much knew what you were getting, and he was pretty consistent up until he's about thirty-seven years old. I, I think that's that's when he finished. That's the last time he finished in the top three in MVP votes. Um, yeah, so he... he well, yeah. well, well, you know who the modern... Uh, almost, and he's not, obviously, doesn't have uh, Henry Aaron's stats, but the, the person in in the modern age, if you will, um, is, is kind of Albert Pujols, right? Who didn't strike out a lot, hit for average, had lots of home runs, um, you know, and, and was very productive up through his mid-30s. Yeah, that's a good comparison. Yeah, and I think Pujols probably had years where he had even higher averages. Um, yeah, that's a real good comparison. He's just quiet. Like, you never hear anything about yeah. the guy. You know? If he didn't sign that, I mean, that was a while ago, he didn't sign that 10-year deal, he, he'd have been pretty quiet his whole career if he would have just signed back with St. Louis as far as publicity, you know, people talking about him. Um, 
Well, there you go, right? Yeah. In, in, you know, middle of uh, middle of America, you don't uh, you don't hear as much. No. And then uh, today in baseball history, it's a pretty quiet day in baseball history. It's kind of uh, 1994. The Tigers hit a home run in their 25th consecutive game. Um, he, Is that, that a record? Yeah, that was a record at the time. Um, actually, the the record was broken again last year. Do you know who that was? Um, my guess would have been the the Minnesota Twins because they what they hit two three hundred home runs or some damn thing. That's what I was thinking until I looked it up. It was the Yankees. Yep, the Yankees. Thirty one uh, games. Okay, thirty one straight games. Wow. Can you imagine thirty one. That's a whole month, man. They hit a home run in every game. <laughs> Jeez. And then uh, speaking about the Yankees, I hate to highlight them in this. Uh, it, today is Lou Gehrig's birthday. Um, so Lou Gehrig was an RBI machine when I was looking at his stats. So he had 14 years of pretty much playing every day, right? When 1925, he replaced Wally Pipp. Um, 14 years of playing every day. He had 100-plus RBIs in 13 of those years. The only year was the first year that he started playing every day, and he only played half a season. Um, he had 1,900 total, and then averaged 140, he averaged 149 RBIs a year. Averaged, yeah. Wow. So that's that's knocking him in. So uh, and I I don't and Lou Gehrig's is a guy you really have trouble saying anything bad about, right? Well, you know he uh, he, he played. Uh, you know I watched the documentary on him, and, and you know obviously he he was a quiet guy. I I think he basically lived with his parents until up you know age twenty six, twenty seven, twenty eight, something like that. Just a really quiet, mild mannered guy, and you know played in the shadow of, of Babe Ruth, and I think he was probably quite content to to do that. Yeah, he's a college guy. He was a college yeah. baseball player. Yeah, uh, I think he went to Columbia. Anyway, Columbia. That is right. That's yep. He he was born and bred in New York, New York City. Yeah, that's that's all pre-draft stuff. When, uh, yeah, that those days are. I don't know. Maybe they're coming back. <laughs> people just signing people like that. Um, yeah. All right. So uh, next week, next and uh, next week, hopefully we can reach out to some of these owners and get their thoughts, and then and then share them share them online here uh, to figure out what we're going to do and hopefully next week we have an agreement or an agreement that we're not going to play in baseball <laughs> yeah you know what so here's here's kind of what we'll do is, is, is i'll solicit some of the owners get some ideas from them and and then you, you know it's really as you're pointing out dependent upon what major league baseball does but maybe what we can do is even have a couple of the owners uh come on and you know it, it you know i would challenge to them is say hey what kind of what kind of year would you like to have in the like how should we do this? And maybe they can come on the podcast and present their cases. Yeah, I, I, that, that's a great idea. Um, so next week we're back on a Sunday, right? Yeah, yep, I will be there. Okay, all right, buddy. Happy Father's Day to everybody. Yeah, yeah happy, happy Father's, Father's Day. Day to all the. Enjoy all your right. Sunday. All right, see ya. Thanks, Raj. Stay safe.